Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Welcome to another episode of Wookie Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, or the host of the Pirate Network, or the Holonet, or whatever. Smugglers 3 still works the best. Mm, yeah. Pirate Net. We're on Pirate Radio. Erk. Hey, that this week coming in, or that was last week. Oh, okay. Talk like a pirate day. It's on 19th. Ah, you know what pirates' two favorite letters are? D- don't make me, like, make us send you back to the stockade. We will make sure you're actually in there this time. Favorite letters are the letter R, but he really loves the C. Sorry. Yeah, see, bad jokes. You can, you can definitely jokes. tell who's the dad on the show. <laughs> I resemble that remark. I... But I, I'm going to have to ask, Chewy, what did you think of my dad jokes? <laughs> Holy crap. All right, all right, all right. Um, it is Mike, Ken, and Derek. How you guys doing? <laughs> well, it was fine until those jokes. Yeah. I, I think I'm dying now with those jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get right into the show then, shall we? Sounds good. Sure. You, you know, we could be like every other Star Wars podcast out there. Or, or like other Star Wars podcasts out there. It's time for transition. <laughs> the cover and new details of the Journey to Star Wars: The Last Jedi, which is the series for the books and the comics leading up to The Last Jedi, helps set some um, set up some some backstory, some some pre story to the movie. Um, it's the it's Journey to the Journey to Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Can't tell bite. Um, Did we say it's a prequel? Possibly. Well, no. It's a. It's actually more backstory. It, it's 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 setting up. Up. It's helping set up and, and make make sense of what's coming in the film. Um, this is from StarWars.com. I'm of term prequel. I, I, I just don't <laughs> think it's a prequel, though. Truthfully. Um, this is from StarWars.com. Uh, StarWars.com and the Star Wars show are excited to reveal artist Matt Taylor's cover for Canto Bite, which will probably be... Part of this might be used for our episode art for this, for this episode. Um... A new book coming December fifth as part of Journey to Star Wars: The Last Je- the Journey to Star Wars: Last Jedi publishing program. Um, now, Canto Bite, named for the new casino city featured in Last Jedi, is a collection of four interconnected novella-length adventures in the of the exotic aliens and creatures who frequent the locale. Uh, the stories are written by Saladin Ahmed, Ray Carson, Myra Grant, and one of my favorites, John Jackson Miller, who I'm working on bringing him onto the show. Uh, you might know him from some of his other books. Um, me, the most predominant I could think of off the top of my, top of my head was uh, his brilliantly orchestrated um, Knight Errant series, which he wrote both the 
the novel and the comics. So he did the script for the comics and wrote the novel. Uh, in addition to the cover, StarWars.com has statements directly from the authors that tell us a little bit more about their respective tales. Uh, was silent. I, hang on just a second. I just checked you. Saying John Jackson Miller. He actually also wrote the first novel of the new con of the new canon, The New Dawn. Yeah, yes. Mm. Yeah. I, I need a breakout aftermath and start reading it. I, I got them at Celebration. I got the first two books. I need to get the third, and I just haven't sat down and read them yet. Yeah. I think you'll like the first one's a little bit long or a little bit rough trying to get through because you're not sure what's going on. By the time you get to the end of the third one, it actually all makes sense. And, and to me, I'm okay with that with the trilogy. I, that's why I loved about the Republic Commando series is that it was the same way. First book was a little rough. Second book started to get, you know, because there was so much backstory. Second book was just so much easier to read and, and flowed a little better. But I mean, it was still a great series. Uh, Saladin Ahmed, uh, his story is called Rules of the Game. Uh, Rules of the Game is a quiet drama about work and crime and corruption and pecking order. Oh, Star Trek. It's also an alien buddy comedy with explosives. Oh, the odd couple. Um, interplanetary contract criminal Ang Lang Lahat or Let and Vaporator Cells being Kedpin Scalope. God, Star Wars names. Mm-hmm. Um, let's play Boggle, shall we? Uh, have led diff- very different lives. They have one thing in common. Each of them has spent more than a century following the rules of his trade. But one night in the glittering casino of Canto Bight, their paths will cross and beset by gangsters, corrupt cops, and overpriced drinks. Oh, Epcot. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I'm kidding. Uh, just but the it, drinks part, I hope. It is food and wine time at Epcot, so... Um, they will have to rely on each other to have any hope to survive. Uh, Ray Carson, hear nothing, see nothing, say nothing. Hey, it's about three monkeys. That's right. Um, and no, we're not talking about Wookiee Radio. I know. I was going to say, I hope you're not referring to us. <laughs> Exactly. Um, no one is better placed to overhear key information than Lexo Suger. I wonder if he's related to Mark Bugner. Hey, uh, <laughs> um, the star masseuse at an elite spa, but Lexo never gets involved no matter what. In a dangerous city like Canto Bight, is the only way to keep his family safe. But the vile gangster Big Stir Ghana will stop at nothing to acquire him as an asset. When Ghana kidnaps Lexo's daughter, Lexo must call on a secret law. Unused ability on long unused abilities to save her. The gangster does not know it yet, but he's messed with the wrong masseuse. The masseuse knows acupuncture, my guess. <laughs> Gets him with very thin gauge needles. Um, I spent a chunk of my childhood in poverty, so I know that even the most beautiful, lavish places have an underclass, people barely scraping by in a system stacked against them. When I saw Lexo, a fantastically real, realized alien creature doing hard labor, surrounded by luxury that's never truly his I had to know more for me Lexo is Canto Brights Canto Bites every man so I'm glad I got to write this story Uh, Maya Grant The Wine in Dreams you want some cheese with that Uh, there's nothing better than a good con game except for maybe a con game that takes place in the Star Wars universe I have a very bad feeling about this. Uh, my story takes you to the glamorous nightlife and the glittering world of Ubella, Ubala Gil. I swear they did. They played Boggle to come up with these names. <laughs> you can write this stuff, but you can't say it. Star Wars Names by Boggle. That might be a show title. Um, they should come out with a Star Wars dictionary. <laughs> yeah. 
Just a pronunciation guide. Yeah. Yes. Whose club is the place to see and be seen in Canto Bite. A lot of business happens there. A lot of deals. But when when Dirla Petey's, one of the most renowned liquor traders in the galaxy, shows up to purchase a bottle of wine that may or may not come from another dimension, things get complicated fast. So there's dimensional travel in Star Wars? That's... Um, I suppose it's never been ruled out. <laughs> well, isn't that kind of what the idea of hyperspace? Kind of, uh, sort of? Yes, no. Mm. I I think I think they're talking about like oh, on the Flash, going yeah. from Earth one, Earth two type thing. Yeah, uh, it was a joy to write, and I think you're going to enjoy it. What happens in Canto Bite ends up with very many mispronounced names. <laughs> <laughs> what happens on Canto Bite requires a dictionary. Um, John Jackson Miller uh, writes The Ride. What do you do when everything you think you know is upended at precisely the wrong time? The Ride is some of the best fun I, I've had writing a Star Wars story. Combining a look at gaming at gaming within Star Wars, in within the Star Wars universe, with an adventure loaded with humorous moments. It's a chance to wallow in casino life, surrounded by memorable characters. The Lucky Three plus one is more than a s- starting Pazic Hand is a formula for a wild ride. With statistics as his force and car combinations as his lightsaber, Cal Jack Somni fancies himself a Jedi Knight of the Gambling Halls, making short work of all who oppose him. Until, that is, he encounters something none of his knowledge and experience can help him with. The Lucky Three, a notorious trio and terrors of the casino. Suddenly, the fearsome members of Canto Bite Underworld breathing down his neck, Cal launches upon the craziest and possibly last night of his life. A frantic odyssey during which fortunes are lost, won, and lost again. Um, he's drawing dead with a deadline, and his only outs may be three dim- diminutive lunatics named Doty, Thody, and Woby. <laughs> Huey, Dewey, and Louie. So that is the Canto Bite book that's coming out in December. It actually sounds like it's reminding me of um, either the Bounty Hunter Tales or the old Tales from Jabba's Palace. Very, yeah. It has this very similar feel to it. That's and exactly what I was thinking, too. This is Canto Bite, Pulp Fiction Star Wars. <laughs> it has a very much of like a Reservoir Dogs or, or Star Wars feel to it with these stories. Did you it, just say it has a very Star Wars feel to it? Is it Reservoir Dogs or Star Wars? It should <laughs> have a Star okay. Wars feel to it. It's a okay, Star okay, Wars okay, 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 okay. A very Star Wars esque Reservoir Dogs. There we go. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Pulp Fiction, Star Wars style. Yeah. Okay, uh, okay, 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 okay. That will work. <laughs> Joe Pesci in Canto Bite. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Now these utes over here, what are they doing in my casino? <laughs> so, uh, I think this is going to be a cool book. Um, it's definitely, it's, it's one that's on my list to, to check out. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, we will definitely have to work on trying to get uh, get these guys, or this crew, on the show. Yeah. So, um, why don't we move on to the, this, we talked about it, what, last week? Or was it two weeks ago you guys talked about it? Or not last week. We talked about it two weeks ago? Or, yeah. Or, or was it? Or Friday stuff. Yeah, yeah okay. that's right, yeah. So. Two or three weeks ago. I think it was three weeks ago. 
It was the last, it was the week I wasn't here. I'm not even sure anymore. <laughs> it all runs together, man. So, what? but, no, it's but, all you, but. What we're referring to is the unbelievably amazing uh, Ultimate Collector Series Millennium Falcon coming out from Lego, which we did talk I'm- about. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my review copy of this. I know. Right? <laughs> uh, it's- We're talking to you, Lego. We won't turn it away if you send us one. <laughs> nope. Each. <laughs> That's, the, that's only 2400 bucks. Uh, the largest set so far at 7541 pieces. It is with an $800 price tag. I saw a YouTube video of someone. Total time to build it was 34 hours. Yeah. Over eight days. <clears throat> so here's, here is 21 facts about the Falcon uh, from the, the designers of it. Uh, number 21. They've been wanting to do this for years. Uh, so this is... Uh, uh, Jens Kronvold Redder Dixon. Wow. Yeah, that's not even a, <laughs> Sounds like maybe a Belgian name. Yeah, that's not even a Star Wars name. Uh, who is the director of Lego Star Wars Designs and Michael Lee Stockwell, uh, design manager of Lego Star Wars. Um, so they've been wanting to do this for years. Um, we've been thinking about it for years, Stockwell admitted, wondering when the day would come and we'd actually get started again. Uh, it Thanks to the Falcon's importance in the new trilogy, uh, Lego decided to give the green light to the project. And they they said they wanted to make big improvements, uh, but they had a blueprint to go from, thanks to previous Lego ver- <clears throat> Lego versions of the ship. That was really good, so that was our starting point. I'm still trying to find one of the original Falcon models. As oh. horrid as it was, I just want it. Mm. In this box, uh, this box weighs 25 pounds. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Fact number 20, feedback from the fans was taken on board. Uh, when doing something like taking your previous design and improving it, we're looking very much into consumer feedback, Frederickson revealed. Uh, one of the things they found out this time was that the fans were missing the interior on the first one. So that's why we've added interior pieces to this model. Uh, interior air- areas include the cockpit, the corridor area, and the iconic seating zone with the hollow chest table. I love that hollow chest table. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Uh, 19, distributing the weight was a challenge. <laughs> you can imagine. Well, that, that actually that is actually something they've had to deal with because remember that um, really sweet, huge Star Destroyer they made? Yes. I guess a lot of people complained that the way the base of that was built, that if you didn't build your own supports under the sides of itself, it actually sagged under its own weight. Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, adding more than 2,000 pieces to this model compared to the original stresses the structure. Uh, we had to make sure that we could do that uh, distribute the weight properly and still produce a model that you could pick up and move around. That was probably the biggest challenge. Um, yeah, I, am, I could see that. I am picking it up, moving around to its final spot and never moving it again. Yeah. As I put the, the lexicon shield over the top of it. <laughs> I know, really. I'd be too afraid of that, of like bumping into something and knocking pieces off. I'd be afraid of breathing on it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it fell apart. <laughs> uh, number 18, the design process wasn't 100% digital. Wow. Uh, designers work in different ways. Some designs, some designers are building digitally, and some are designing building with brick. Hans Burkhard Schlomer was the lead designer on this model. He's usually building digitally, but of course, to check on the stability and buildability, all these things pretty quick in the process, you need a physical model. So we 
we have we have had physical models around from the early start. Yeah, you'd really need to test that thing with an actual real life model. I think something that size. Yeah, because just doing it digitally, you like you wouldn't know how its own weight would affect it and everything. Yeah. Number seventeen, Han and Leia have breathing apparatus. Uh, we wanted to add newness. Stockwell told us, and that's why you have Han Solo and Leia with breathing apparatus. That was something we had not done before. Uh, the design flourish alludes to the Empire Strikes Back, where Han, Chewie, and Leia don breathing masks to explore the belly of the space slug. Did you have one, Mike? What, space slug? <laughs> well, no, no, uh, the breathing, bre- apparatus. breathing apparatus. Um, I don't remember, which can explain a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a funny Obviously, thing. he didn't have a breathing apparatus with him. Uh, apparently not. What, Just like it? Chewie. Was I supposed to? <laughs> it helps. Just like uh, Chewie here. Sadly, the designers opted not to give Chewie's minifigure a breathing mask. Since, since Chewie's Lego head and hair all comes as one piece, they would have had to put a spare Chewie head in the set to achieve this. <laughs> oh, poor Chewie. No metal, no breathing apparatus. It's rough being like you. <laughs> so, uh, next, the 16. The Porgs were quite a late addition. Porgs, 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 Porgs. I don't know if these guys, if the Porgs should be in this one, though, because if you look at the radar dish they have on this, it's the um, it's the traditional Falcon. And the Porgs uh, were nowhere uh, near the traditional uh, Falcon. Uh, 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 on the box. On the box, yeah. Take a look but at the first picture on the article, though. Mister. Yeah. It, yeah. it actually has the... the uh, uh, rectangle. It comes with both. Ah. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Porgs came pretty late in the process, Stockwell admitted. At the time, we didn't know a lot about them. We know a little bit more now, but we can't say anything. Of course. Number 15. 15 hours would be a quick build. <laughs> I don't see it happening. Yeah. <laughs> Not unless you got a tem- team of people. Yeah, really. Uh, it all depends on how you approach it, Stockwell said, rightly pointing out that some people would want to build it quickly while others would want to savor it. Of course, your level of experience with Lego would come into the equation as well. I know my Falcon, which is original trilogy, which also came with Vader and Obi-Wan, which didn't make sense instead of R2 and C-3PO. Mm. Um, the uh, That one took me eight hours over a month period. Period, work, working on it roughly, you know, a little bit here and there. Mm. And, and I have pretty decent Lego experience, and, and I have one mess yeah. up. Oh, those are the worst. Oh, yeah. But I, I love the one quote in this, too, that you missed. You have to go home and negotiate with your girlfriend. <laughs> or wife, in our case. <laughs> Next, the instruction booklet includes classic concept art, which is really cool. Uh, of course, concept art by Ralph McQuarrie, yeah. uh, which includes paintings and sketches to give fans an idea of the history behind the iconic design of the Millennium Falcon. Uh, I think this is this one is a special case, said Fredrickson. He got a special treatment. The Falcon has such an important role and such an interesting history. It was just easy to add a lot, which is true. Now, the video I saw where the guy took... 34 hours. He said the book is 500 pages. Wow. <laughs> it's, it is huge. Mm. Yeah. Oh, here's a good one. 13. Lego knows that no one likes stickers. Oh, thank God. <laughs> mm. Uh... 
was it a conscious decision because everyone hates the stickers and no one can no one can never do them right that sounded weird believe it or not there's always a conscious choice to avoid stickers stockwell stated frederickson added i think in this case we wanted to really make this a premium experience so that's why you see a little bit more printed elements this time i have a See, in the early days of Lego, when we were kids, I don't ever remember stickers. The majority of them, mm. everything was printed on. Yeah, I don't remember stickers either. That's good. Uh, number 12, the designers welcome cool customization. We have, of course, seen all the extremely cool things that people have created by customizing previous Millennium Falcon sets, Fredrickson said. Uh, it's also inspiration for us, Stockwell added. I think the only thing to say about that is just we can't wait to see what other what people come up with this time and of course this is when people which i have debated doing myself with with my with my falcon it's getting the the pieces where you can light up like the engines oh yeah which which would be pretty cool yeah yeah they have some amazing things you can do at home with um wiring up leds yeah um there's a couple places too like uh, oh it's couple lego shops i know there's one it's a brick mania that has a lot of military base and they have some led bricks as well to help help do things hmm, that's pretty cool number 11 a first order prop was reused in the falcon kit i'm pretty sure that the shield from the first order troopers used in well as a hinge plate stockwell told us and we designed it that way when we designed that element we made it fit the system so it could be used as a building model and if you like that random piece of trivia you'll love the final entry on this list so keep reading <laughs> okay now wait i'm I seeing just, the i'm seeing the picture they post oh never mind it's they don't have a okay wait what's the first order trooper that they're referring to i'm not sure oh okay i see the shield you do yeah they link back to um the first order transport transport speeder battle pack oh and there's a, a shield in on it now i got it but they don't show a picture of where it could possibly be on this on the ship <laughs> lego i know okay to okay. continue on uh the cockpit includes a brand new blick, brick uh they were asked blicks too. Little, yes plenty of blicks uh when asked about it, they said, yeah, we did. We definitely had a goal to make as many upgrades as we could. The cockpit is notably an element that was specifically designed for the set. What's great about the element is that it does this set justice and provides the newness we were looking for. But at the same time, it's an element you'll probably see show up in other Lego sets from other product lines. It works in the system like all the rest of our elements do, and, and that's always the goal when we're producing an element. We do exclusive minifigure accessories, but when we're doing an element it's got to work with the rest of the system see the one thing i like about this is looking at the picture they have four minifigs in the cockpit mm-hmm. the, yeah, set I, the set i have only one could be in the cockpit mm-hmm. but i wish Although it has two seats but they don't yeah can't fit two of them in yeah I, I i wish they could still figure out a way of putting four seats and i, mm-hmm. I wish they would extend this a little bit more because to me that that throw is just a little still a little too short yeah but just a wee bit oh well on to number nine it will probably be the biggest lego set for a while uh it was a conscious decision it was absolutely something we wanted to create the ultimate lego set uh it said uh when they asked if there's anything in the works that might top it frederickson said well we can't say anything about what work what we're working on but honestly i don't think there's something right around the corner it's going to be a tough one to beat yeah 
That's a uh, yeah. Looking looking at the picture underneath, that cockpit section is still just a hair. It's a hair short. Mm. Yeah, it kind of is. It, it it needs another two by two by whatever. It, it needs to be another two studs wide. I think it'd be mm. ideal. But it's still a gorgeous piece. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it really is. The detail is is amazing. Oh, and there it is with the round rectum. Uh, number eight. The kit was tested by kids. <laughs> uh, we put it in the hands of children to see how do they touch the model? How do they build the model? How do people that know absolutely nothing about Lego pick up this model and move it? Ooh, that's a scary thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, scary thought. Uh, of who doesn't know about Lego? <laughs> and who, who would be touching it? Calling the crackle. <laughs> Bring me the crackle. Uh, the age marking on our boxes is something we take very seriously, Stockwell said, and so it has, the decision was made to give the set a 16 plus rating. That's still really? not. That's still not enough. Oh. I should, number, number. The decision should have been twenty-one plus because there's going to be a lot of drinking while making this one. <laughs> well, it is technically a toy, so it's a collector piece. Mm. I like this number seven. It is swishable depending on your strength. Uh, one journalist asked how swishable it is, and everyone knows exactly what he means. Could you run around your house with this, swooshing it about through the air and making pew pew noises? Uh, Stockwell offers a deadpan response. How strong are you? Then he goes on to explain that there are instructions in the booklet on how best to lift your completed falcon. Children wouldn't even attempt to try and pick it up because of its size, Stockwell mentioned. Uh, but Lego the Lego team has noted that kids identify with the figures, so when they can put the figures in the cockpit or in the interior, that's what they really, really love. I kind of, I kind of, part of me wants to see a little kid running around with this thing. <laughs> Someone build like, it. Someone build it. Let me bring Zoe over. You'll get that video <laughs> of a little kid playing with us. It's almost her size. She could probably sleep in it. Mm, I love this one too. Number six. Lego is sorry for bankrupting you. <laughs> no, they're not. One <laughs> generous uh, uh, asked point blank whether Lego is trying to bankrupt its fans, which got a massive laugh. Uh, Stogwell said, what do you want me to say? Well, we are sorry that we have created lots of cool sets. We are sorry about that. No, you're not. Then <laughs> uh, he said, I think there are a lot of fans that like these big sets. It's still our main our main thing is making toys, definitely, and to have a strong portfolio with a lot of different products. Part of that is these, the bigger collector models. We love to create them to show what is actually possible to do with Legos. Number five, this model will influence future Lego set. Everything we do influences our next step, said Stockwell. Uh, We learn constantly what works and what doesn't, and we try and build on the stuff that does work. So yeah, this process will influence the next large model that we do. Uh, Uh, Then there was mention uh, that fans are hoping for a new Lego version of Cloud City, perhaps to tie in with the 40th anniversary. That would be cool. But neither Fredrickson nor Stockwell would be drawn to comment on what they may or may not be working on in the future. That would be cool. Oh, come on. You could tell us. We're not going to tell anyone. <laughs> Number four. The variant dishes were planned from the start. Uh, it was... See, I, al- say something? I almost wish they would do that or did that with the last 
Lego kit, even though it was a little smaller than the set that I have, but the one designed mm. for Force Awakens, because the detail inside is much better than... I mean, they, they do more of the detailed uh, corner where the hollow chest is, the, the hollow chest set is, or that table. Mm. Whereas mine, it, it's still the traditional Lego chairs that, uh, that, look, oh, yeah. uh, that look out of place. I'm like, at this point in time, I almost want to order those pieces and redo my Lego to fit. <laughs> since that's all interior. I could probably get away with it as well. Yeah, probably. Uh, so, when talking about the, the two variant dishes, uh, Fredrickson said it was absolutely something that was in from the beginning. Part of deciding to make a new version was the role it had in Episode 7 and the new trilogy. And then we thought we want to have a way to add something new and different and give the fans the opportunity to have a model displayed in the version they prefer. Uh, number three, and the dishes aren't the only difference between the classic and sequel designs. Stockwell is quick to point out the interchangeable dish isn't the only extra piece that allows fans to customize their Falcon. Uh, here in the front, we have these small sections which can be clicked on. He said picking up two tiny rectangular creations and attaching them to the two points at the very front of the Falcon. They are they are on the new version, Stockwell explained, further displaying the Lego's immense eye for detail. We don't know what it is. We don't know why they're not on the classic model, but that's just how it is. Number two, there is Lego inside the actual Falcon. What? Ah, yes. Uh, Fredrickson and Stockwell said that most of their interaction with Lucasfilm took place on computers. They were sent pictures of the original models to work from and given access to a 3D digital version. However, they did get to visit the real Millennium Falcon set while filming was taking place on The Force Awakens. Uh, one of the set designers, he asked me, hey, do you want to walk up the bridge to the Millennium Falcon? Uh, Fredrickson said. And inside there was a control panel, and in the control panel, there was a 2x4 Lego brick. It was just painted gray like the rest, but it was there. <laughs> <laughs> and num- fact number one, the Falcon's dish contains a Ninjago hat. Uh, it's the circle within the round sensor dish. Uh, Hans, the lead designer, actually said to me one day, he was struggling finding an element that we could use to put in the center of this. I got this idea, so I ran down to the stock and ca- I came back up and I brought him the hat. I think it's from Sensei Wu in Ninjago, and at that point it was sand colored because that's what it was on the stock. He looked at that and he said that would actually be perfect because it had the right shape, and so that element was then produced in gray for this model. Interesting. So a little, a little, little crossover there. But I, at 800 bucks, I mean, this ranks <sighs> it up there with with the most expensive. And, and I yep. know you were I know you were going to tackle this next one, but I'm going to give you a break since that was kind of long winded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the 15 most expensive Star Wars stories you wish you owned. Uh, odds are, if you're reading this, you have at least one Star Wars toy. <laughs> wish it was just one. <laughs> um, maybe it's a wind up pod racer from Taco Bell. <laughs> Run for the border. Uh, a jingle. I still have all the um, all the cup toppers from Taco Bell. I have all the um, from 2012. I have all no 2010. All the Clone Wars skateboards that were the Happy Meal toys from from uh, oh, wow. McDonald's. <laughs> awesome. The little finger skateboards. Yeah. And none of them are open. I walked into nice. I walked into well they gave them to us in the swag bags at Celebration and I walked into McDonald's and I asked them, "Do you guys have these?" And they looked at me like, "Where?" the hell did you get those? Because they're not out. I'm like, 
to give them away at Star Wars Celebration. I showed them the back. Oh, I'm like, y'all, no, those don't come out for another three, two, three weeks. Can we see that though? That looks cool. So they hadn't even gotten them in yet. <laughs> so I, I got to play spoiler. Um, so. Maybe you've had a friend make a few bucks off a garage sale, lunch at a lunchbox on a garage sale, or maybe you saw that Comic Book Men episode where those guys sold Star Wars ships to buy his girlfriend a plane ticket, which, why would you do that? Hello? <laughs> There's been, never mind. So here, here are some of the more, um, expensive toys that you wish you had. Number 15, New York, I love Lego Yoda. I didn't even know this existed. Toys R Us and Times Square was a magical place. Um, but when they, if you were one of the lucky few to check out the life-size X-Wing that, de- that debuted at the flagship store, uh, and one of the first to purchase an X-Wing playset that day, you got the New York I Love uh, exclusive Yoda Lego minifig. Uh, it has been known to go as high as 450 bucks. Wow. Wow. Um, just take a look at some of the Lego minifigs that they give away at San Diego Comic-Con. They're insanely priced as well. Yeah. Not sell, but give away. Um, the blue snaggletooth comes in at number fourteen. I have oh, one. I have one of these. It's it's at my parents' place. Just gotta find it. Um, now are known in the now non-canon works as Zuton. You may recognize snaggletooth from the original Star Wars film, but. When Hasbro first made him as part of the Sears 1978 Cantina Adventure set, all they had was like a, a headshot. So, and, and they, and it was a rough color of the, of the picture. So they thought it was blue and they thought he was tall. Well, eh, wrong. He's a short red adorned creature. Um, this was, and here's the actual backstory. This was due to the toy company Kenner working only off a black and white set photo. They were quickly, they were quick to correct the error and every figure from the 1979, from 1979 was proportional and color corrected with shorter legs to adjust to the character's height. Still, those who purchased the original Cantina set or mailed away for the Greedo's Snaggletooth 2 pack, which I don't remember that one, can, uh, can sell the miscolored creature for up to $700. Uh, number 13, small head. Han Solo. I think we have both and small. That's a terrible sculpt for Han Solo. Yeah, but again, re- that's the way it was back then. I remember having. We had both small head and big head. Um, in the effort for accuracy, they forgot about proportion. As Han seems to be missing, seems to be the missing link between action figure and pop vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> for those with the original proportional Han Solo and his original packing, they could fetch themselves as high as a thousand bucks for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke with the telescoping lightsaber uh, basically you've got that tip and it was originally if you pulled on that it would extend the saber a little bit more besides sliding it up the arm um, well that kept breaking off and and they stopped making it um, create you know stop doing the double telescoping but if you happen to have an original DT Luke in the original package you're looking at about a grand for it uh, number 11 San Diego Comic Con exclusive holographic Darth Maul Funko Pop it's so cute uh, uh, actually, I want to rename it San Diego MediaCon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, at a, 2012, a 2012 San Diego Comic-Con exclusive, uh, the holographic Darth Maul uh, has the distinction of being the most valuable Star Wars pop on the second-hand market. Uh, at the time of this article, which is on CBR.com, a bidding war on eBay has driven the price of one particular Darth Maul up to 1500 bucks. Some may have gone as high as $1,850. Uh, Yak Face, uh, produced in 1985, um, 
The only to find them, uh, Yak Face was only found in boxes of the. Right. In 1985, Kenner produced an action figure of Yak Face, only to find themselves with boxes of the toy in nowhere to send him once the Star Wars line had been canceled. Kenner's solution? Send the excess figures to Canada and some European countries, but never formally release the figure in the United States. As such, a mint condition Yak Face inbox can fetch a seller up to 2300 bucks. Uh, R2-D2 Lunchbox comes in at number 9. Um, this was one from, I guess it came out in 19... In, in fact, the Keeley, the King Sealy Thermos Company had plans to make some lucky kids of 1977 the coolest kids in school with an R2-D2 Lunchbox, complete with zip-off heads of, to store food and even your Star Wars action figures. Um, if you happen to get a hold of these, because there were only 12 prototypes, um, you can nab one for 2600 bucks on the secondary market. Getting back to figures, we have Flicks from, or Velix from the Droids. Uh, Kenner was stuck having produced Droids merchandise after the show's cancellation. So they took the figures they made of the villainous Flix, and the figure only found its way into the market in Kenner's Brazilian distributor. As such, a mint box Vlix fetches as much as four grand. Wow. Uh, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader with the telescoping lightsaber. Uh, pretty much the same thing as what we talked about with Luke. You know, the Luke's, you know, fetching a grand. Vader, a double telescoping Vader and a DT Obi-Wan are far rarer, each fetching up to seven grand on the secondary market if they're mint, mint in box or mint on card. Wow. Um, number six, 14 karat gold Lego C3PO. That's cool. Uh, in the spring of, tw- of 2007, Lego Magazine featured a contest for the 30th anniversary of the original film, offering a Willy Wonka-esque contest, explaining that 10,000 random gold metabola- metabolized C-3PO figures were hidden in random Lego sets. Um, with only five produced, very few have shown up on the secondary market. What has appeared to what has appeared has commanded a hefty ten thousand dollar price tag. Uh, that's okay though. You could scoop up a bronze Boba Fett minifig for half that at five grand. Wow. <laughs> so, um, FX. I had this one. FX seven. Actually, I think I still have this in my garage. It's just missing the arms. Yeah, um, that happened to mine too. Nobody's really sure why a mint, vis- mint version of this innocuous character produced by the U- UK toy company Palatoy sold for as high as it did in 2014. Um, maybe it's because of the lesser value or lesser availability of the character compared to some of the other figures. See, mine was in decent shape, but it, it got to the point it was hard to get the arms back in once you opened it up. Mm. Of course, they're talking. Um, they're, we're talking about the Pal- Palatoy version, not the. Uh, not the Kenner version. Right. Um, two rapid, rabid bidders once set the price for this figure at $11,500. It's That's insane. a lot for a little piece of plastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, Star Wars number one. 35 cent variant. Oh my god, I need to check. I think I have a, one of these. I'll have to check to see if mine's the 30 or 35 cent. I just acquired, I think I just acquired one. I don't remember. I gotta check my stuff now. Um, just as Marvel was getting set to release the first issue of their adaptation of the film, uh, they toyed around with the idea of increasing their cover price from 30 cents to 35 cents. And covers featuring the new prices were printed, but only sent out, sent to 
four cities, Memphis, Toledo, Tuscaloosa, and Wilmington. Of the estimated 1,535 cent issues printed, only a third were believed to exist today. If you got an original 35 cent issue and not a reprint, you're holding in your hands a $13,600 worth comic book. Wow. God, I hope I've got a 35 cent issue. Problem is, it probably won't be in decent shape, so I may be lucky to get three grand for it if I had it. Um, number three, the 2007 Lego Millennium Falcon. Wow, Legos. Um, this, now you heard of the new Lego Millennium Falcon hitting the stores at a hefty 800 bucks. Uh, that might sound like a hefty price tag, but history repeats itself. In eight, in 2007, Lego introduced its first Ultimate Collector Series Millennium Falcon at a price tag of only $499.99. Uh, designed to scale with the included minifigs, it's the first time the largest Lego set ever produced. It was the first, it, it was at the time the largest set ever produced. Those fans who purchased the first edition through lego.com may have even received a certificate of authenticity. Those who still have the piece and fought the urge to build it, leaving it mat- mint, can fetch up to 16 grand. It's insane. Uh, number two, mm-hmm. v- Vinyl Jawa. And I know someone who has a Vinyl Jawa. Uh, it's loose, but um, when Kenner introduced the Jawa into their toy line, it featured a cloak made from the same thin vinyl as used for Vader, Obi-Wan, and even Leia, which they tend to leave out of this. However, Kenner worried the consumer might be outraged at paying the same price for the smaller figure as they did the full size. So they replaced the vinyl with a cloth material to add a sense of value. As such, the Fir- these first wave final Jawas have fetched as much as 18 grand in auctions. Mm. And then finally, uh, the rocket firing Boba Fett. Um, the first wave figure contained a Boba Fett for Empire Strikes Back contained a Boba Fett with a missile launching backpack. It was actually a mail away figure because uh, I remember yeah. that. A uh, mm. quick thinking Kenner realized a tiny projectile in a children's toy was a lawsuit waiting to happen. Well, it was because I, I do believe the the original they were starting to be produced and what happened was a kid choked on a Battlestar Galactica uh, missile from either right, a Viper yeah. or, or a Cylon or at least that's the urban myth the urban yeah. legend is kid choked on a Battlestar Galactica missile when he fired it into his throat stupid kid dumb parents for not paying attention mm-hmm. anyway but then again that was back in the 80s we went outside parents weren't around when we did stupid crap like that um, upon the release the, the re-release Boba Fett missile was glued into the backpack a rare incarnation of the iconic character can now reach up to twenty two thousand five hundred dollars if you if you have an original with the rocket launching um i do know they re i don't remember if they released it with the new mold or not um but i know in, in the last within the last 10 years uh hasbro redid a boba fett with a rocket firing backpack yeah so and that was, again was Malloway. I think I think I got a couple out in the garage of the newer ones, and I just might have to see how much they you know what I could possibly grab for it on for one of them on eBay. Yeah. So so yeah, that's that's it. That's a lot of expensive toys. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So um now expensive toys. Yes, this is something that came up at work, and and I've heard a couple other shows talk about this particular character, and I want y'all's thoughts. The character, well. It's all one that we come to love and enjoy, and I'm trying not to be so serious about this, because the character is... Misa Jar Jar Binks. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. I've never had a problem with Jar Jar myself. Uh, he's he's. I mean, I saw where he fit with the trilogy. Uh, Simple minded, easily played to you know give the Chancellor you know the powers to become you know to, to change the Republic to the Empire to create the Clone Wars. You know by granting the Emperor or the Chancellor emergency powers, uh, etc. Yeah. But someone. But do you really think? Well, hang on a second. Do you really think that um, that was originally the plan when he put Jar Jar in? That Jar Jar would give the Chancellor emergency powers? Did he have that planned out when he? Wrote Phantom Menace? Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we are we are talking Lucas. Anything's possible. Mm -hmm. But but here here's my thing. Someone was telling me at work that oh Jar Jar because of Jar Jar Binks becoming so popular or so hated whatever that Count Dooku was then created to become the new Sith Lord to to compensate for Jar Jar Binks because no one was going to believe that Jar Jar Binks was the Sith Lord. Hence why Jar Jar Binks gave the emer- called for the emergency powers to be granted to to Chancellor Palpatine at the time. So, like I don't, and supposedly there he he quoted uh, Robert somebody Richard somebody I can't remember last name begins with a C. <coughs> and I'm like, dude, you are on some serious crack. It, it, it's a fan, it's a fan theory, and, and I remember it's, seeing that, but it, I don't believe there's validity. One. I, I've never I have never found anything to back up. Was Jar Jar Binks originally supposed to be a Sith Lord? No way. Yeah, yeah I've, I have never even heard this one um, put it out there as an actual serious theory. Nope. A lot of people have joked about this forever, and it's always been a joke. Everything I've ever heard, it was a joke. I've never heard anybody seriously looking about this. I think whoever it is, that, yeah. That some people started taking seriously. Yeah, maybe they misinterpreted when they, they did read that on the internet that he was a Sith Lord, <laughs> not realizing that the person who wrote that down on a forum somewhere was actually messing around with everybody. Yeah. Because remember, when you're typing, you can't type emotion. This is true. Very true. Um, okay, so here's what I found online. This is the only thing I found online. Coming from Inverse Entertainment, uh, it's a story by Ryan Brett, how Jar Jar Binks continues to unite Star Wars fandom. Uh, the single best part of Star Wars Celebration Orlando this year wasn't the first trailer for The Last Jedi, but instead the moment when Liam Neeson joked about making... I don't even remember Liam Neeson being here. Crap. No, he said it in a video. Ah. Uh, that's right. About making a secret movie where Jar Jar Binks went to the dark side. So that's where all this began. Yeah. Um, he, he, at first, fandom was unified, and by the second-hand embarrassment, Jar Jar firmly pushed nerds away from the mainstream crossover. But over time, fandom united around Jar Jar for a different reason. Though Jar Jar was a failure as comic relief in the movies, uh, fans are more recently in on a new kind of joke, pretending that Jar Jar is cool. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Who has to pretend? So, so here, here's the theory. Uh, Lampa War Ruse, Darth Jar Jar theory exists. It uh, proves there's a virgence in the Star Wars fandom, a place where something uncool becomes cool. Um, so uh, the theory is Jar Jar Binks wasn't an idiot, but actually a secret Sith Lord. <laughs> Sorry, no, it, it's there, there's there's no there's no truth to this. I mean, I even I even pitched it out there to to Pablo Hidalgo, and I've got no response because I'm sure he looked at my Twitter post and went idiot. Even though I said <laughs> someone at work was claiming, he's probably going, yeah, someone at work, my butt. It's you. <laughs> I just wanted proof to show this guy. No, Jar Jar was not secretly a Sith Lord. It's it's just it's it's no. 
So, I mean, I, I'm well, a fan of Jar Jar at some point, in some points, but I'd say no to this one. No. I, I say this smells of poodoo. <laughs> Big time poodoo. Yeah. It, it's. Well, that smells stink away. Indeed. Um. To, for for this guy, and, and he was being very insistent. I'm like, no, it's not true. Now, yes, according to George Lucas, Jar Jar Binks was modeled after Goofy, a well-known Disney character. Mm-hmm. But um, to to think to think he was a Sith Lord, I think if that was the case, we would have heard from Lucas by now. Call Wavy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it, I think it, it's it's stupid. It's crazy that they're even at that thought. Yeah. So in I can't even believe. This guy, knowing I run a Star Wars podcast, even meant, tried to even convince me that, oh no, this is really true because some guy on the internet said so. He got yeah. what the Misa saying. Well, technically, <laughs> we're also some guys on the internet, but okay, this is true. It, it's we have our wits about us, so I, I would sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. You heard, have you heard your own jokes? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I still got three more of these I haven't played <laughs> over the period of the of, of the course of this show, not this episode, this show since episode one. <laughs> this is very very bad. Now we're down to two. <laughs> um, I I just. How this theory came about, I don't know. It's oh, because he gave the emperor, he gave the chancellor the emergency powers to create the Clone Wars. No, he's just a traitor. He's embarrassing. How rude! He got what the Misa said. Ah, oh, Mori Mori. So, um. I, I guess, <laughs> yeah, Jar Jar Binks can rake up there with, with the Ewoks. He's lovable, but he's not. Um, I guess we're going to experience the same thing with the Porgs now. Jar Jar Binks should be happy that he's no longer on the on the hate list or as high on the hate list. But I, but you know, I'm not sensing that same feeling with the Porgs. No, and actually, I would I would be surprised if they're even um, halfway as integral to the story as the Ewoks were. I think yeah. the Porgs are straight up just going to be a car- or a, um, a background beast on the island yeah well yeah, what it is, is that the marketing and media have looked at found the pork said oh these guys are cute we can market the crap out of this yeah but you know we're we're gonna see these as well on um on the falcon as well because chewbacca ends up taking yeah. one with him yeah well look at um I'll, some of the- i love him and kiss him and call him george george <laughs> george the pork mm-hmm. show you what how do you feel about that <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know why that? Yeah, you know what? This may not be um, popular, but you know why the porks are on the Falcon, right? Tastes like chicken. <laughs> Chewie's got to eat something. Did you get that joke from Mike? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> there is actually. I, I've heard that from uh, the theory from other places too, because I guess there is a uh, one of the promo pics that's out there. Almost looks like there might be a feather on Chewie's right off the edge of Chewie's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it actually is or not, but that's what it looks like. Uh, anyway, I I thought there was one more story we, we could potentially do that's kind of quick. I'm going to say like mother, like daughter. That'd be you, Ken. Ah, yes. Let me bring that back up again. <laughs> uh, Oops. 
Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you caught me going to sleep for a second. I got it, though. I'm right here. <laughs> this is actually a story that came out from JediNews.co.uk. And, our, um, our friends over at Jedi News. Exactly. Um, now, they had found out there's some interesting there's an interesting piece of news that came out from the Metro, which actually I believe is a um, British newspaper or news service of some sort, that Billy Lord, the daughter of Carrie Fisher, actually auditioned at one point for the role of Rey in The Force Awakens. Now, it says that Billy Lord, um, actually, the article from the Metro says that Billy Lord has revealed how she was asked to audition for the role of Rey by J.J. Abrams as he was unable to find a lead actress. Obviously, this is before he found Daisy Ridley. Um, Lord, the daughter of Carrie Fisher, who played the princess and later General Leia in the film series, later took on a smaller role as a lieutenant and junior controller in the Resistance, and which allowed her to spend more time on set with her mother. JJ called me to come in for the Star for Star Wars because he couldn't find someone for the lead. Said Lord during speaking on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, he ended up finding Daisy Ridley, who's an incredible actress. So talented but went in but i went in and ended up um he ended up giving me this tiny role with a couple of lines and i was super excited didn't know um what was going to happen so the question i have though is um since jj actually auditioned her before uh daisy ridley was anywhere near it what's the chances that billy um that he may have actually been looking at since ray is the daughter of leia and han actually cast carrie fisher's daughter so you get a family resemblance maybe now we don't know this now we don't know this this is just straight speculation what's the chance chances that Kylo does have a younger sister because remember there's multiple places in the Force Awakens and little hints that Kylo may know who she is and some of the other members of the Solo and Skywalker family may know who she who Rey actually is her backstory it's certainly an interesting thought because immediately when um the when the officer tells uh Kylo on the bridge of the Star Destroyer that um the BB unit was found in the um presence of the traitor and a girl Kylo looks at him immediately grabs him by the uh, force choke and pulls him in and says, what girl? Right. Yeah. So th- th- to me, that sounds like he actually knew there was a girl hiding on this planet, maybe, that mm-hmm. no one's supposed to know about. Quite possibly. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, and I think it's cool that it almost happened that Billy was was almost right. Yeah. Um, it it, it would have been... Okay, it, in Judaism, we call it generation generation. It's uh, Lador Vador. Um and, and this would have been kind of cool seeing it passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. That way, uh, where, you know, a, a role like that could have been, you know, still kept in the Fisher family of some sort. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Um, but I, I don't know if it's something that, um, even though she auditioned for it, I don't know if she really would have wanted it, though. Yeah. You know, seeing well, what, what her mom went through. Yeah. I mean, the, the thankful thing was she wouldn't have had um, Lucas riding her butt about a bunch of stuff like he did with with his mom with her mom yeah so well I, the way i look at it in story side of it is um i don't i think billy lord was probably just he was looking at every um young girl he could find to audition for this it had nothing to do with ray's actual backstory the speculation yeah, is that was it ray because we know at this point supposedly jj and lawrence kazan have both said they have no idea who ray's backstory was they didn't write that all they wrote was the story they had that's what they keep saying that i mean that doesn't mean they're not blowing smoke <laughs> I, I can't. I 
can't see where they just wrote a character without having any thought of where they're going with that character. You would well, hope. Supposedly, but, yeah. Well, supposedly, the, the what's come out in the last couple months was the fact that they wrote uh, the story and left it totally open so that whoever the person is that picked up the ball after Force Awakens could go any direction they wanted. So Ryan Johnson actually got the chance to do write whatever script he wanted. He didn't have to be beholden to the backstory that they had written. Which is weird, a weird way to do it, I'm thinking, because right. um, yeah. the original trilogy that Lucas wrote, even though Lucas didn't direct all of them, he actually had written out what he wanted to do. The prequels, right. he did the same thing. He knew the beginning and the end, and the stuff in the middle he had to write in there. It's like, for this, they should. They, I would hope that they actually had a lo- at least a loose outline that said, this is the beginning, this is where we got to end at, so we know where to go, you know? Right. I, I almost, uh-huh. I don't like, I don't, I'm not comfortable with the idea that they're just flying blind, uh, hoping that the next guy is going to make something that's really cool right isn't that why we have a story group yeah open these things you would think yeah <clears throat> but you know rumors are out that that's not necessarily the case i i don't know it, it's let's flesh it out let's figure out hopefully we get more from ryan johnson i have a funny feeling yeah. i have a funny feeling we're not getting a lot from him in mm. bringing us closer to who is ray i i think that's going to end up being left back in the hands of jj abrams with episode yeah. nine well, hence why he was um tabbed to be the replacement for trevorrow yeah is now he has a chance to actually bring to conclusion who ray is yeah i think yeah i'm thinking that's when jj came in he already knew where he was going to go with episode nine when they brought him in he was just waiting uh, i like i said i can't it's very hard for me to believe that there was not at least a loose outline here and yeah. um, that and that outline would have been um, written down by jj and lawrence cast because they were the ones that actually came up with the original story for all of this right i mean they're based it, it was there was um still stuff in there from um luke george lucas and um oh who was the first guy that they had brought in michael arndt because they had because the, michael arndt yeah. still has a screenwriter credit so they still use some of his stuff so the basic general idea of it was still there somewhere, and we know that he d- they did not use a lot of stuff Lucas had that he wanted in there. There was a lot of things that Lucas um, wanted in the movie in episode seven, eight, nine that they went nowhere, a totally different direction for. But there, there's got to be some stuff that they kept. Yeah, hopefully. So, and also, because um, I remember this when episode seven came out, Lucas one of the questions that um, he was quoted on was um, asking like stuff like "Where's Vader's grandchildren?" things like that. Mm. So I'm wondering is is Ray going to be the grandchild that no one knew about? I mean, we already have Kylo Ren, but is Ray actually a grandchild of some sort? That, but then again, these are old questions that we all of us have been asking for the last two years, right? Right. So, and we're not going to know until probably right around 2019. This is true too. Hopefully, we'll know it by 2019. We can hope. That's, we shall see. That's, there you go. We were speculating about a third tri- or um, fourth trilogy. The fourth trilogy is um, who is Ray? That's the whole idea behind the fourth trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, well. That's going to bring us close to the end. Uh, the Imperials are getting are starting to close in on this transmission. Maybe trying to scramble us, thinking for some reason we're rebel sympathizers. We're going to spread some message around. Any final thoughts? Nope. The only thing I can think of is as they're trying to find us, no more hiding in the asteroid caves, Mike. <laughs> I know. Two weeks was too long. <laughs> I forgot all about the Minox. So, well, I'm going to end this off with this quote from Obi-Wan Kenobi. I have the higher ground. <laughs> Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. <laughs> 
have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2! Oh, <laughs> my